Well, friends, we are excited today to introduce our guest preacher. We have been on this wild ride of this at sermon series. I think when we kicked it off, we uh, knew that the work of the spirit was both hopeful and disruptive, but we've really, we've really gone through it with um, the book of Acts and all the various sermons that we've been on. And uh, we are concluding our Acts sermon series today, even though um, obviously this is not the end of the book of Acts. Hopefully we can get a sermon series on the second half of the book of Acts another time. Um, but we are excited today to invite um, Nicola to be our guest preacher. She is the perfect person to conclude the series. Um, and she is somebody who's committed her life to this disruptive, surprising, joy-filled, love-fueled, powerful, <laughs> um, radical work of the spirit in stretching boundaries and um, building community. Um, and she is a writer, preacher, uh, podcaster, community organizer, uh, prophet who um, really has dedicated her life to this boundary stretching love of the spirit. Um, so join me as we welcome Nicola to guest preach today. She's been with us before, um, but we're welcoming her back and just delighted to have her with us this morning. Thank you for being with us. You can take it away. Thank you so much. I'm really grateful to pastors Erina and Michael and to all of you for welcoming back, me back. I have always enjoyed coming to be with you and I really enjoyed listening to the sermon series, um, Disruptive Hope Indeed. And we have more of that today. Um, will you pray with me? God, we come this morning with many things on our hearts and many things on our minds. And we just ask that whatever the word is for each person who is gathered here today, that you speak that word clearly. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You do not have to follow rules. You do not have to be good in order to be saved. You only have to come into relationship. I thought about saying those three sentences and then letting it go for today because they pretty much sum up the decision made in the passage we just heard. And I think they come close to conveying just how mind-blowing that decision is. The words of Act 15 seem so flat on the page, so run-of-the-mill, so safely confined to a one-time meeting that happened in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Because let's be honest, <laughs> when they talk about church councils, I get a little drowsy blah, 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 doctrine, blah, 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 Christianese, blah, 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 obscure theological points. <laughs> the words on the page today do not convey the outrageousness of the decision that just got made. The world-shaking power gets lost. Here's what happens. It's about 20 years since Jesus was executed and rose again, and the story has been spreading. The Jesus movement called the way is growing like a wild vine among both Jews and Gentiles. And remember at this point, the way is very much a Jewish movement, a sect within Judaism, but lots and lots of non-Jews called Gentiles are being drawn to it. And there's this big question afoot. Do these new converts to a Jewish movement need to follow the Jewish law like all the rest of the Jews? 
seems kind of obvious, I think. Of course they do, but that's not what gets decided. What gets decided is that these Gentile followers need only do a very few things. And actually most of these are more like suggestions rather than conditions. They're told to avoid idolatry. In other words, worshiping things other than God to respect each other sexually and not use sex for power and to make a few dietary changes so that they can share meals with Jewish followers who keep kosher. In other words, what is important is not the rules, but the relationships that are being formed. The relationship with God first, and then through God, the relationships with other people and created beings. Not rules, but relationship. I don't know about you, but I grew up thinking that religion in general, and certainly Christianity in particular, was about having a moral code, knowing what the commandments were and keeping them, being righteous to the best of our ability. The goal is to figure out what the rules are that will make God happy. In my hometown, we thought it was something like, don't swear, don't go to R-rated movies if you aren't 18, definitely don't use a Ouija board. And if you're going to dance with someone, leave enough space between you for Jesus. Or maybe some more adult version of that, like don't fall in love with someone of the same gender, don't terminate a pregnancy, don't get depressed, or if you do, certainly don't talk about it. Don't break the law, be as nice as you can and follow the rules. That's what it means to be Christian, right? That's not at all what the scripture says. That's not what the Jerusalem Council decided in those early days of our Christian movement. They decided that the Gentile Christians did not have to follow the laws that the Jewish Christians followed, that the standards that applied to them could be different. It's a really astonishing decision. And it's a decision, I think, born of astonishment. What is hard to perceive in the texts reading it 2000 years later is how in awe I think those Jewish Christians in Jerusalem were when they heard Peter's report about what the Holy Spirit is doing among these people whom they didn't think could even get the Holy Spirit. And it's like they see God in this whole other way. They are flabbergasted at God's power and reach, totally astonished that God was bringing them into relationship with these people whom they assumed would always be outsiders at best and more likely enemies. And in the face of this miracle, they're like, who are we to get in the way of what God is doing? Who are we to get in the way of God restoring the world? And honestly, this week I wrestled with this. At first blush, it seems really unfair that these newcomers from an oppressor class, for the most part, would not be subject to the same law that those from an oppressed class were. And just in general, when someone else is held to different standards than I have been held, it feels unfair to me. When they don't have to follow the same rules and experience the same hardships I have endured, when they, for example, get paid more for doing the same work, it feels unjust. Certainly, anyone with a sibling knows at a very visceral level what I'm talking about. I mean, I'm just saying, but 
I didn't get sweet tarts for using the potty when my sister was getting bribed into it. I mean, yes, I was several years potty trained and she was three years younger, but still, apparently I'm still smarting from the lack of smarties. So this decision at the Jerusalem Council on the surface of it feels unfair. The law applies to some, but not to others. It's kind of as if, say, Jessica Reznicek were granted clemency and not punished for what she did. If you don't know, Jessica Reznicek is a Catholic worker who was active in the struggle against the Dakota Access Pipeline. And as part of that work, she intentionally sabotaged, actually set fire to some construction equipment to slow the progress of the pipeline. Thanks to a terrorism enhancement, Jessica is currently serving eight years in prison. This passage is as if instead the judge had heard the case and actually seen God at work in her actions, taking risks to protect the water that sustained the whole middle of the country and decided to let her off. It would have been an amazing decision. It's not what happened. She's still in prison. Or it's as if the Supreme Court would rule that college campuses can adjust admission policies according to race. It's as if colleges could actually account for the centuries of forced uncompensated labor and the long history of disenfranchisement of Af African descended people in this country. Not to mention the assists offered to other American citizens from which black citizens were excluded. For example, by the GI Bill. Civil rights expert John A. Powell compares this history to trying to run up a down escalator while white compatriots were running up an up escalator. It's as if the Supreme Court would suddenly see the impacts of this generational inequity, and not only that, but see the miracles God is doing in the people who survived all of that and how much the world needs those gifts. It's as if the Supreme Court would fall on its creaky knees in wonder at black joy and resilience and creativity, and then decide that sometimes guidelines need to be customized to account for what God is up to. That would be an amazing decision. It may yet happen, it may not. Or it's as if a high school principal could decide that the rules that apply to the rest of the students who attend prom, that they may not bring anyone older than 21, did not apply to a certain senior named Keith who has Down syndrome and who cannot attend at all unless his 25-year-old aide comes with him. It's as if that principal could see that God was at work in Keith and then put himself in service of that. It was an amazing decision and that one actually happened. It's as if that gunman last night had gone into Club Q in Colorado Springs and then fallen on his knees at the beauty of his queer and trans siblings. It's as if he had seen how much he needed them for his own healing, for the transformation of the parts of him that had been distorted by patriarchy. As if instead of opening fire, he had joined in the dancing. We know that's not what happened but maybe someday it will. 
Sometimes it's not about rules. Sometimes it's not about piety. Sometimes it's not about righteousness, but about being struck by awe, about the longing to be in relationship and being willing to go to any lengths to be able to sit down at the table with someone else. It's about being struck with wonder that God has brought you into contact. It's about wanting to say yes to that contact. It's about falling in love a little bit with that being, whether it's a person or a plant or an animal or a waterway, it's about recognizing the aspect of God that shows up in them that you have never seen before. Because here's the thing, I think that every time we allow ourselves to be moved by someone we didn't know we could love, we see a little more of God. Now, by way of confession, I have to say it's a miracle every time God helps me to get out of my own self-absorption enough to see anyone else in this way to really see and marvel at another being. I wish I knew how to make that happen. This week we adopted two kittens and for some reason these little creatures have cracked my heart wide open so that the other morning I just wept and wept at the tenderness of God. I wish it hadn't been so stereotypical. I mean, kittens, <laughs> it's pretty cliche. Why not an aardvark? <laughs> because it can happen with anything. I really believe that. I wish it happened to me more often, but if it did, I think I'd have to change. I'd have to think about how my actions impact others, other humans, other living beings. I'd have to be accountable to them. I'd have to grieve when they are harmed. I think my heart would break a little, maybe a lot. And maybe that's why I don't allow it to happen much. I think that's what the Jerusalem Council experienced. Their hearts were cracked open. I remember that God spoke through the prophet Ezekiel, I will give them, or you, an undivided heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Friends, God is longing to tenderize our hearts. Question is, are we willing? Are we willing to put aside the pseudo safety of insisting on the rules and instead come into the real safety of vulnerable relationship, even if that means being changed, even if that means feeling sometimes like things are unfair? How many know we can make idols of the rules? How many know we can worship the rules? We can even make up new rules in order to avoid the vulnerability of just asking for what we need. God knows I have made things a justice issue, a matter of morality, when in reality, my feelings were just hurt or I was scared and I didn't want to have to say that. We cannot worship the rules. The rules are inert. God is alive. God is moving. God is moving to create relationship where before there was none. We are created for mutual interdependence with everything that is. And God is trying to restore that. 
we can allow ourselves to be moved by that, by our need for each other and God's willingness to meet our needs in and through each other. And we can flex to make that possible. We can let go of rigid rules and get creative. How can we make this community work for every living being? Maybe my baby sister needed those sweet tarts more than I did. Maybe what is right for me is not right for you or vice versa. Maybe sometimes it is right for someone else to make more than I do for the same work. A few years ago, I met a couple of consultants who worked closely together. And in a workshop that I took from them called Liberation Logic, they shared how they pooled their joint earnings and then split it up, not by how much work each person had done or even how good or successful they were at that work, but by what they needed. And in that process, they took into account that one of them was a white woman and one was a black man, and they didn't have the same access to generational wealth or stability. I was so struck at the time about how much honesty and vulnerability and trust that must have taken, how much love and care formed the basis for their collaboration. You do not have to be good. You only have to love and let yourself be loved in return. And sometimes that's a lot harder than following the rules. I'll close with a poem that you may know from Mary Oliver. It's called Wild Geese. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese, high in the clean blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over announcing your place in the family of things. You have your own place in the family of things. And so do I, and so does every other being. So let's get creative. Let's make it work for each other. God is moving. Amen. <laughs>